I feel very honored this morning that uh, Nathan Maxwell would come when I was speaking. <laughs> it's, it's a real joy and a real privilege to be with you once again and to welcome uh, New Life. New Life is just so precious and so wonderful. Perhaps if I had known that he was going to be here, I might have changed the, uh, the message a little bit, but... Uh, I think we all need encouragement, and uh, that's what I want to talk about this morning. And the title that I've given our message for today is The Encouragements of Jesus to Troubled Hearts. And I've chosen this emphasis because it seems to me that our country and our world is in great need of encouragement. The events of September 11th are still with us. All of those successive hurricanes in Florida, I still remember them, and Kathy and I are going to Florida on uh, Wednesday of this week for a series of ministry meetings. Uh, All of these things and others are on the minds of people, and the nation seems to be a little bit on edge. And on top of this, we just got through an election where the words liar misled and deceived, those words were used more frequently than any of the elections that I can remember. And when we think of the turmoil in our country and throughout the world, uh, well, we ask, well, what does Jesus have to say to us about all of this? And what can we do? Is there any hope on the horizon that will possibly encourage us? during the course of our lives. Would you read with me John's Gospel, chapter 14? We'll just read a few verses there. John's Gospel, chapter 14. Read with me verses 1 to 4. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Shall we pray? Father, we have read just a few words that John the Apostle wrote down on a manuscript which we read today as your inspired declaration and revelation to us. And Father, we do pray that these words that we have read might become part of us and that you would... uh, uh, Make them very real in a, in a way that, that they have never been before. And so we pray, Father, for this congregation here of your people. Bless us with your presence and an understanding of your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. The word encourage literally means to stir up, to provoke to incite people in a given direction. And the idea is to join someone who is on a journey. 
and to speak words that will encourage the traveler to keep pressing on despite obstacles and fatigue. Because as we go through life, sometimes we get a little fatigued. I don't know about you, but I I get fatigued at times. I get tired of a lot of the stuff that's going on in our world. And the idea of encouragement is so important that we have a verse in the Bible that tells all of us that we should be in the business of encouragement. And that verse is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, which says, Let us encourage one another. That's part of our task. That's part of our ministry. That's part of being a Christian is to encourage one another. So let's do that. One of my favorite characters or heroes in the New Testament is Barnabas. In Greek, his name is the son of Paraclesis. Or the son of someone who stands alongside another to help. Barnabas was an encourager. And you know what his nickname was? Son of Consolation. How would you like to have that name? Nathan Maxwell, son of consolation, son of encouragement. Wow, that's great. When I first came in this morning, I saw uh, Randall, uh, Randy and uh, his dear wife. I said, what's the baby's name? And uh, he said, uh, uh, the name of the baby is Hugo Maxwell. <laughs> and I... And I said, uh, well, I'm glad that's not so. <laughs> but um, at any rate, um, what, a, what a beautiful name. Son of consolation. Son of encouragement. Do you need encouragement today? Anyone here need encouragement? Do you have a health issue? Do you have a family issue? Unsaved loved ones? that you would dearly love to have turned their hearts toward Christ? Are you battle-weary? Are you lonely? In a congregation this size, I would estimate that there are maybe 10 to 12 lonely people. Are you lonely? Is there something else? And I trust that the Lord uh, this morning will give you the encouragement you need as we think of our Lord's encouragement to His troubled disciples. Anyone here have heart trouble? Most interestingly, when I was preparing this message, Kathleen was praying Steve Green's song, Guard Your Heart. Guard Your Heart. A few years ago, I went to the hospital for arthroscopic surgery on one of my knees. And the anesthesiologist came in to talk to me. And he had in his hand an EKG. And so I asked him, what did it show? He said, well, it shows that you have had a heart attack sometime in the past. And I was shocked. I was not aware of anything that could be labeled a heart attack. And the doctor went on to explain that there was such a thing as a silent heart attack, and I probably had one of these. Well, Kathleen went home and wrote a letter to our regular doctor. 
And in due course, he had me take a treadmill test and an echocardiogram. And the echocardiogram showed my heart in all four chambers had, in fact, not experienced a heart attack. Heart attacks. When asked if anyone here has had a heart problem, a heart trouble, I wasn't thinking of the malfunction or disease of this muscle that beats in our chest. But rather, I was thinking of the heart as the very center of a person. The very core of your being. The heart. The trouble, troubled, the word troubled in verse 1 means stirred up or agitated. Is there a feeling of agitation going on with anyone here? Any agitation in the core of your being? Way down deep inside where each one of us really lives. I confess that I have experienced a troubled heart or an agitated heart on several occasions. And the latest was when our daughter Joy was killed in an automobile accident. That was seven and a half years ago. I experienced an agitated heart on January 12 of 1990. You know, there are some dates that one never forgets. It was 12.30 at night when a neurologist called from the UCLA Medical Center and announced that Kathleen had had a major stroke. I said, how is she? Well, it's too early. We can't tell, was the reply. Is the stroke life-threatening? It's too early. We have to wait at least 72 hours. At this point, with my agitation rising even a little bit more, I said, Doctor, I have never before experienced anyone with a stroke. I don't know what questions to ask you. Would you please tell me what I need to know? And with that, he told me a number of things. Well, I rushed to the hospital and was plunged into a world of pain. There was Kathleen with all kinds of tubes sticking out of her and monitors all around. After a while, we were told to go to the waiting room and told to wait a while. And in the waiting room, there was more trauma. There were the parents of a young man whose liver had been crushed in a farming accident. And I was there with the family when they got the news the liver could not be salvaged. There was a man who needed a heart bypass operation who also had stomach cancer and who was on a kidney dialysis machine. Then there was a lady on a respirator on the bed next to Kathleen's. And so it goes. There in that ward, pain, uncertainty. It seemed death was hovering over the very atmosphere of that room. I think I understand far better than I ever did before the verse in the book of Philippians, the fellowship of his suffering. I discovered a camaraderie, a friendship that developed between those of us 
who waited outside the intensive care unit, waiting our turn to go in. And when we said goodbye to each other for the day, there was a long emotional embrace of fellowship. As I think at that time... My attempts to say something meaningful, something Christian, you know, something you want to say something, uh, felt to me very weak and stiff and troubled. The Lord knows. My heart was troubled. When we come to our passage in John 14, commonly called the Upper Room Discourse, we know that several things were troubling the disciples. And as a result, they were anxious and agitated and in a state of confusion and perplexity. So Jesus, in verse 1, responds and says, Let not your heart be troubled, folks. I believe there were at least four things that were big contributors to the troubled hearts of these disciples. First of all, based on this Gospel of John, the disciples may have felt ashamed because of their selfishness and pride. These disciples had been jockeying for position of greatness at the right hand of Jesus. And uh, boy, they were really pushing each other and jockeying for that place. They wanted the place of honor at the side of Jesus. And perhaps they were remembering the words of Jesus a few moments before in John 13, where Jesus said, I am your Lord. I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Do you understand what I have done for you? In the upper room, everything had been ready. There was a pitcher of water. There was a basin. There was a towel. And the text is very clear about these details. And the thing that was lacking, however, was a servant's heart on the part of those disciples. What was lacking was a humble spirit. No one stirred. Not one among the disciples would make the first move to serve the rest. And the normal Mideast custom of washing one's feet was not begun until the evening meal was being served and it was Jesus Himself who took the place of the servant, the place that no one among the disciples wanted. And I believe perhaps that the disciples may have felt some shame as Jesus washed their feet and while He taught them that very valuable lesson of servanthood. And shame is a big problem in people's lives. I've seen quite a few people with varying degrees of shame, and some will say to me in a counseling situation, you must think I'm a terrible person. And then there's a question that very often is asked as well, do you think it's my fault? And they move, some people move between these feelings of shame and guilt. And I believe that one of the things that troubled these disciples was perhaps a feeling of shame. Secondly, I believe the disciples were perplexed because of the prediction of the Lord Jesus that one of their own number would betray Him. And we have that 
in John chapter 13, verses 21 and 22. And the other Gospels suggest that with regard to this prediction of Jesus, that the apostles were not all that sure of themselves. And they asked Jesus that very revealing question, Lord, is it I? And I think their perplexity, their unsureness of their own hearts, to even imagine the possibility of of betraying Jesus, would have produced considerable agitation. Their hearts were troubled. And thirdly, Perhaps they were wavering in their faith, probably thinking, how can it be that Messiah should die and suffer? That Jesus could possibly die had not really sunk into the consciousness of the disciples. And they put it out of their minds as something they didn't want to think about. Or perhaps they thought it just wasn't possible. But then again, what were they to think? It was confusing, perplexing, troubling. Fourthly, and undoubtedly the most devastating of all, the apostles were sad and agitated because Jesus said he was leaving. That's John 13, verses 33 and verse 36. You know, if there was ever anyone who could fix a troubled heart, it was the Lord Jesus, but He was leaving. If there was ever anyone who could cure the blahs of life, put the fizz back into life, you know. Comfort the lonely. Do something about the humdrum of life. It was the Lord Jesus, but He was leaving. No wonder, at the end of John 13 and verse 37, Peter says in effect, life isn't worth living without you. There was a sense of aloneness without Jesus. A sense of loss of direction. A loss of hope. And the Lord exposes Peter's lack of understanding of himself when he addresses Peter in verse 38 and says this, Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? I tell you the truth, before the, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You know, the pronoun you is singular in that verse 38, speaking to Peter. But in chapter 14, verse 1, the pronoun your is plural. All of the disciples felt heart trouble. Life is not worthwhile if the Lord Jesus is absent. You know, as I grow older, I realize more and more that everything, everything in life is tentative. Jobs are tentative. Few people stay at a job more than four years at a time. Job security is not the great cure-all. Knowledge is tentative. I was reading about a man who had written his doctoral thesis in thermal hydraulics 
and he was forced to repudiate his own work. He admitted his paper was a fraud. He had never done the experiments on which he based his paper. And then there was additional fallout. There were other papers based upon his fraudulent paper. And so it went. Knowledge is tentative. And human relationships are tentative. And people move in and out of our lives with an amazing frequency. Some people leave town. Others just plain disappear. And still others move out of our lives because of a relational breakdown. Troubled hearts. Health is also tentative. Ask any older person in this room. And the only person who is not tentative is God Himself. And as we think of the only stable influence in the lives of the disciples, the only person they could count on was the Lord Jesus, but He was going away. You know, when the Lord Jesus said to His disciples what He said, it wasn't... uh, Merely a pious wish to say, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. You know, we say a lot of things, you know, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, it'll, it'll, it'll all work out. You ever hear that? It'll, it'll be okay. Just relax. You know, take it easy. Uh, it'll, all, it'll all be okay. When the Lord Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, it was and is something that we can rely on. And that is now what I want to look at in the little time that remains, the encouragements of Jesus to troubled hearts. I want you to look closely at the text that we read earlier from John 14. Verse 1, Jesus tells his disciples to continue to trust God. Literally, in me, continue to trust. Whatever your need, whether it's freedom from shame or release from a guilty heart, fear of abandonment, loneliness, trust me. And when Jesus said, trust me, he was also saying, I know what it feels like to be troubled and agitated. When Jesus spoke these words, He Himself was troubled in spirit. And let me direct you to two scriptures that tell us that. John chapter 12 and verse 27. Jesus said, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very hour that I have come. And then notice John chapter 13 and verse 21. After he had said those words about the one that would betray him, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. And here you have the heart of the Lord Jesus. 
facing the cross, troubled in spirit, and encouraging others. That's the heart of Jesus. If you ever wondered about it, that's the heart of Jesus. When he's troubled, he's out there encouraging the hearts of people. When Jesus says, believe me, he's telling his disciples to trust him. And because Jesus himself has had a troubled heart, he's able to enter into our feelings. And that's the definition of empathy. Empathy is the ability to enter into the hell of another. And these ex- disciples were experiencing that very thing. But he himself was there too. And Jesus is telling us this morning, trust me with your life. Trust me with your doubts. Trust me with your health issues. Trust me with your relationships. Trust me for the future. Encouragement number two is in verse two. Jesus is telling his disciples, you want to know, really know why I'm leaving? Well, I'll tell you. My departure is for the purpose of preparing everything with a view to a great reunion in my Father's house. And it's got lots of rooms. I'm preparing for the reunion. Do you like reunions? You know, I, I'm a little ambivalent about them. Because when I go to some of these reunions, everybody looks older. Except me. <laughs> but uh, uh, reunion. I think this will be a great reunion. Great reunion. We won't be bringing our problems there. It's, it's going to be terrific. That's why he's going. That's why he left. That's why he went to the cross. Because he's preparing for a reunion. I'm looking forward to seeing some people in that reunion. You know, separation is one of the most difficult things in the world. And it brings more grief than possibly any other thing. To lose a loved one, to be separated from the love of another, is to experience grief of the most severe kind. You know, that kind of separation happens between people when a close relationship is broken. And the ultimate separation is when a person dies, a loved person dies, and we grieve very deeply. And the genius, the genius, the utter genius of Christianity is that it doesn't talk about separation, but rather it speaks of fellowship, of community, of togetherness, of reunion, of no separation. When we speak of separation in the Christian context, it is never a permanent separation. Never. And Jesus in verse 2 is saying to his disciples, 
I want you to be with me forever where we will never be separated again. I'm going to prepare a place for who? You. Me. That's what he did. Is your trust firmly in the Lord Jesus? In closing, and there are a few other things there, but uh, she wants me to go on. All right. I can do that. Encouragement number three is in verse three. Jesus said, I am coming again and will take you to be with me. You with me, he says. Then you will be always where I am. And this coming again is the counterpart to Jesus going away. He's going away, but He's coming again. He's going away, but it's not a permanent going away. He's coming again. And the purpose of Jesus going away is to enable Him to receive believers into His presence. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of believe that His coming again may be fairly soon. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the closing prayer in the book of Revelation, you know what it is, don't you? Even so come, Lord Jesus. Behold, I am coming quickly. And the response is, even so come, Lord Jesus. Never to be troubled again. We read that there will be no more tears. God will wipe away all the tears. You know, and I've asked, said to myself, boy, what a big Kleenex that's going to be. Just to wipe those away. Won't that be neat? No more tears. Wow. You know, if you've ever been in a situation where there have been a lot of tears, sure it would be nice if you could go up to that person and just wipe them away. And, uh, and they'd be over. They'd be done with. Tears are part of this life. Well, let's look at verse, look at verse 12 for a moment. One of the more important conditions is to believe God, to have faith, to trust Him. What is your need? Believe God rather than the power of positive thinking. Another important condition is in verses 13 and 14, and it revolves around that three-letter word, A-S-K. In other words, we're told to pray. Jesus says, I'm going away, but not so far that I can't hear and respond to what you're saying. How far away is Jesus? As far away as your prayer. He's not that far away. And I know of no shortcuts I know of no way we can bypass prayer. No way. 
Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. You know what the alternative to not praying is? It's fainting. You want to faint? You want to drop down as if you were dead? Well, well, don't pray. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's Luke 18, verse 1. Non-functioning Christians don't pray. Would you pray with me this morning in closing? Father, we thank you for one who can tell us words that will encourage our troubled hearts. That we no longer need to live lives uh, under the bondage of fear and uh, being troubled. Lord, thank you that separation is only temporary. And that we're looking forward to a home. We're looking forward to a building which has real foundations. A home that cannot be moved. And Father, we pray for each person here this morning that uh, if people came in with troubled hearts this morning, trust that they'll go home with a lighter heart. A lighter heart because we've been with Jesus this morning. And so, Father, bless this fellowship. Thank you, Father, for your coming the first time into the world and that you're coming again. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.